Jesus' Christmas words to deconstructing Christians. The text, what a text we have. I said to the worship team, I shouldn't tell you this, that I might be a teeny bit longer. This subject is so important to me. John 18, 33 to 37. John 18, 33 to 37. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Twice he says it. And then Pilate said to him, So you're a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. And these wonderful Christmas words. For this purpose I was born. Do you see Christmas in that? For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There are times when, let me just help put you in my shoes for a minute. When a pastor just feels the weight of a text and a teaching that's different from other times. It's not that the text is more true than any other biblical text. But there are certain times, rare times, when I just, I said to Rini, I just wish that nobody would be away. Because that never happens. I just wish that all of the Believe it or not, about 1,500 people who would say, if you ask them, Cedarview is their church. I wish they'd actually be here. I wish nobody would miss this theme. Not because there's anything great about me, but because there is something wonderful about this subject. Look really carefully at those words in 1837. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose, I have come, that's different, into the world. Why? Why, Jesus? What's behind this whole thing? I want to bear witness to the truth. Not all that long ago, you wouldn't have any reason to drill down into that word that Jesus very intentionally chose to describe his whole mission, truth. Virtually everyone had the same understanding of what that word meant. Not so anymore. Gen X, Gen Z, you've you've been raised in a totally different definition of truth. So let's look at it. Bit of an introduction. Let's define that word, truth. I'm going to give a simple working definition. It's not deeply philosophic. Truth is a thought, a statement, or an idea 
that lines up with reality. If I crack two eggs into a recipe, and then I crack two more eggs into the same recipe, there are four eggs in that recipe. That is true. It makes no difference if someone thinks there are five eggs there or six. It makes no difference whether they think there ought to be four eggs. It makes no difference whether they like eggs. Two eggs plus two more eggs will always be four eggs. That is true today. It was true when glaciers covered North America. It is true all over the earth. It is true in every culture. It would be true on every planet in the universe. It will never be otherwise, and it is 100% impossible to change. That's truth. That's because no one creates truth and no one invents truth. You see, you don't manufacture truth. You can only discover truth. It just exists. A truth is true even if nobody believes it. It doesn't hinge on belief. Truth is truth even if nobody agrees with it. That's because objective truth is different from a belief. See, beliefs can be either true or false. Truth exists entirely separate from belief. Truth is unaffected by the one proclaiming it. Truth is unaffected by the one denying it. Here's a point where an incredible, an incredible confusion has come down into a culture like like a fog. It clouds the possibility of reason and understanding, and it radically alters the objective power of the Christian faith. Stay with me just for a bit. Consider this statement. Chocolate cake with soft vanilla ice cream is the best dessert in the whole wide world. Is that a true statement? And and if you don't see, if you don't see that the very question, is that a true statement, is just a false category, then you don't understand what truth is at all. You see, Chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream is the best dessert in the world is not a truth statement. Does everybody understand that? That's a preference statement, not a truth statement. In other words, that statement about dessert only exists as a belief in my own head. It is my opinion. The truth is, There is no such thing as the best dessert in the whole wide world. Because even if someone traveled the globe and finally came to me and said they had found the best dessert in the whole world, they would only be telling me in their opinion, 
they had found what they thought was the best dessert in the whole world. That is not a truth statement. It's a preference statement. Somebody else would disagree, I'm sure. Listen to this paragraph. Objective truth is unaltered by how people feel about it. It is absolutely unaffected by majority opinion, vote, or survey. It is unaltered by the effect that it has or doesn't have on people, whether it comforts them or irritates them, is irrelevant to truth. There is absolutely no such thing as your truth and my truth. There certainly are your beliefs, my beliefs. Nobody owns truth. It it exists. It exists entirely on its own. You You can choose what you believe. You cannot change what is true. You can choose what you believe. You cannot change what is true. There is, however, a motive behind the popularity. Everybody's talking about my truth. And I'll tell you why. It allows the one using that phrase to subtly slip out of the territory of beliefs and preferences and opinions into the terminology of absolute objective truth. So so my truth carries the appearance of considerable more weight than just saying my feelings. But it's the same thing. This is the way to unhinge a whole generation from moral absolutes. It's giving the comforting idea that no one has the right to question anyone else's actions or values. After all, My opinion may be open to question, but this isn't my opinion. This is my truth. And to question my truth means you must be incredibly arrogant or intolerant or power hungry. One of those three. Suddenly, everyone is right and everyone is equally right. And absolute truth is the only casualty. And what I want to do is I want to proclaim how all of this relates to Christmas. Because like maybe no other time of year except Easter, Christmas is all about embracing the person of Jesus as absolutely trustworthy and true. And and that's because Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, God the Son, in space-time history. It doesn't hinge on anybody's belief. And in our text, Jesus said the reason he was born was to correct people's faulty thinking and replace error and preference and even religion with truth. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I came into the world 
to bear witness to the truth. Life-changing, granite-like, heaven-bestowing truth. He came to give people truth they would be eternally lost without. Truth they must never relinquish. In all likelihood, there are people in this room right now who don't understand or refuse to believe the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me do all I can to awaken you to the seriousness of not responding to the truth Jesus came into this world to give. Matthew says that when Jesus spoke truth and people didn't respond, something eternally destructive was taking place. He says that in Matthew 13, 14, and 15. Indeed, in their case, people that just wouldn't listen. The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see, and with their eyes and ears, with their eyes hear and their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. On another occasion, John says Jesus was speaking truth to people, and again, they weren't believing him. And John, he quotes the same prophecy from Isaiah that we just read. And then after that, John says, Jesus stood up and with great frustration and agony in his voice, John actually says, Jesus, quotes, cried out to the people. What did that sound like? Like, do you see Jesus saying, listen, guys, let's, uh, let me chat with you about this a bit. Jesus cried out. Oh, people! That's what he did. Here's what he said. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him, that's God, who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken, the true word, will judge him on the last day. So Jesus' words, Jesus' testimony to the truth will determine eternal judgment on the last day. So I would urge everyone who hears these warnings from the scriptures, make room in your heart for the truth of Jesus. Our text that I'm looking at from John 18, it has three parts to it. First, the uniqueness of his birth. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world, 37. The uniqueness of his birth. Second, the purpose of his birth is given, 37, to bear witness to the truth. Third, the condition of knowing the truth is given, 38. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's where we're going. Sorry, point number one. The uniqueness of his birth. It's right there in John 18, 37b. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
So as Jesus describes his entrance, he frames it in terms of both, notice, a birth and an arrival. I was born, I have come. It's the same kind of language the prophet Isaiah uses. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is a birth and an arrival. There seems to be no mistake in the intention to describe both the physical birth and the life that existed before the physical birth. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come. Maybe you've done this. When my daughters were little girls, I used to sit at supper and look across the table at their faces. And it seemed incredible to me that at one point in history, not all that long ago in terms of world history, there was absolutely no physical reality behind the names Melissa and Laurel. I mean, those were just letters strung together out of the alphabet and no person behind them at all. Now, our text says that is not true about Jesus. That's what the text says. His human body was born in Bethlehem, but as a person, he existed long before he came into this world. That's why when we talk about the birth of Jesus, we don't use the word creation, we use the word incarnation. Jesus didn't begin his existence when he was born in the major. Here's how the prophet Micah expressed it. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Look at this is about the birth of Jesus, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And here we begin to see the miracle of the incarnation. It's an event greater than the virgin conception. It's a miracle greater than the guiding star. The birth of Jesus isn't the coming into the world of a brand new person like every other baby. The birth of Jesus, if I can say it reverently, is the birth of an infinitely old person from the ancient of days. Far away, the oldest person ever to be born. Listen to how Jesus expresses this truth about himself. John 8, 56 to 59. Your father, look at this, your father Abraham, who's long gone and buried, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old. That's what I would have said. You can't really blame them. And you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, this must have just rocked their socks. Truly, truly, I say to you, look at, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was saying. You know, they picked up stones to throw at him. This is blasphemy. That's what, they recognized it. That name Jesus was given to the baby born in the manger to describe his saving mission. But 
person behind the name was living and active before Abraham was even born. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Look at He created the world. That baby born in the manger created his mother Mary. Not only was Christ before Abraham, he was before the created universe. There, that's his arrival. Two, the purpose of his birth. You can see it in 37. Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Notice, bear witness to the truth. That's, that's the same idea as testifying to or giving testimony, like a witness in a court. Jesus came to verify something true, to underscore something we needed to know for certain. So, what truth? Here's why I came, Jesus said. I only had one reason for coming to bear witness to the truth. What truth? What was it that was so urgent that God himself had to come? He couldn't text us. Why did he have to come personally? And I want to say that Jesus came to bear witness to two truths in particular. A, he came to testify to the truth that God wanted to show mercy to guilty and sinful people like you and like I. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And everyone said, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The him is there. You're not going to be saved any other way. You're going to hear that text, John 3.17. You're going to hear it read in the presentation tonight. And I want to urge you after this morning, do not listen to it sentimentally. This is here when it's read. Here it's rugged, truth-packed, redemptive declaration. Jesus came into this world. I want to bear witness to the truth. What truth? He came into this world to give witness to the fact that God's heart was tender and anxious to pardon people who deserved judgment. Because we wouldn't have believed it. That's why, in his own words, 3.17, Jesus stresses the negative side of that statement. I didn't come to condemn the world. That's how he starts it. And the reason he starts it with the negative, I didn't come to condemn, it reveals something quite startling because condemnation is what we would expect. Condemnation is what we have coming. We're guilty people. John 3.16 says we're all in danger of perishing. It's a very real danger. God being holy, we being unholy, that is not a good mix. It's not a good mix. What else could we hope for but judgment? Jesus says, 
No, 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 I, I came. I came to bear witness to the truth. Truth A, God has goodwill in his hearts toward people like Don Horbin. Can you believe it? With my selfishness, my pride, all the time my thoughts are more about me than about God. I came to bear witness, Jesus says. God doesn't want to just condemn. God has something else for us rather than judgment. And here's, here's another part of the Christmas story that gets so misinterpreted. The angels sang about it. Peace on earth and goodwill to man. That's what the angels sang about Jesus' birth. But listen, it wasn't primarily just a wish for goodwill between people and nations. That's the way those words are almost always interpreted in churches and by atheists. And it misses the point. The kind of love one for another is said to be the Christmas spirit. Goodwill, peace and goodwill toward men. But the angels were singing about, what the angels were singing about was the fact that in the birth of Jesus, God has goodwill for fallen people. Do you see how different that is? This wasn't, okay, let's get everybody from all the religions and continents, let's do a big group hug. Goodwill to man. That's the way it's read. And I'm not saying that's wicked. I'm saying it's not the point. The angels were singing about the goodwill of Father God to sinful, guilty, condemnation-worthy people because of the baby who would die for their sins. Jesus said, I came to bear witness to this. We get God's goodwill. We don't get God's bare justice. I said he came to bear witness to two truths. First, no condemnation for guilty people. But secondly, Jesus came to testify to the truth that eternal life was bound up with his own death and resurrection and the way people responded to it. First John 2.23 is one of the great verses in your New Testament. Every Christian should know this verse, where it is, and be able to quote it. No one who denies the Son as the Father. No one. None of the 8 billion people on the planet and no one who has ever lived before, no one is going to get to God while denying Jesus, God the Son, and his mission to earth. You, you can't get to God. Of course, Jesus said it over and over. It's hard that we miss it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How many people can get to the Father while ignoring Jesus? How many? None. None. Jesus is the doorway to the grace and mercy of Father God. That's what Jesus was giving testimony to when he said he was the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way, the doorway, the entry point into a relationship with this gracious God. Apart from Jesus, there's no mercy for sinners. And this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. The truth that God has mercy for sinners and the truth that it is only received through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the reason I came into the world is to bear witness to those truths. Leads to the third point. Not everyone believes the testimony about Jesus. 18, the last part of verse 37. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And I want you to notice this conditional emphasis in Jesus' words. Because, because almost everybody admires Jesus, especially when it's, you know, forgive your enemies, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, better to give than to receive, you know, blah, 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 blah. And everybody thinks, well, isn't that nice? Almost everyone admires Jesus. Not nearly as many people take his words seriously into their hearts. The purpose, here's why I came. So when Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, he doesn't mean that only a certain group comes within hearing distance of the sound of his voice. All sorts of people physically heard Jesus. No, that's not what he means. He means that among the many who know his words, he says only a certain number take the time and make the choice to respond to his words as true. Remember truth, how we opened? Only some, not all, give emphasis to his words. Only some, not all, think his words through. Only some have the courage and the humility to respond with commitment and faith, like some of you did this morning. It was a big deal what you did. Let me give you an example of how people of the truth respond to the words of Jesus. This is an example that might surprise you. I'm going to take the time to read it. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I, I pray like that quite a bit. And, you know, Jesus, was he smiling? He must think, oh, here we go. And he said to them, so, so what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one on your right hand, one on your left, when you come into your glory. And Jesus, I think he was smiling here. You don't, you don't know what you're at. God bless you. You have no idea what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. It's going to be Deborah Sergeson, I'm pretty sure. And when the ten heard it, so the ten, they hear James and John's question, give us these two good seats. And when the ten hear it, they're a little ticked off. 
and they're indignant at James and John. Now, I get it. We look and think, well, that's a lousy example, Pastor John. Why are you reading that? Well, the issue didn't stop where they would be seated when Jesus came into his future glory. That thing didn't just pop into their heads. It wasn't an accident that they asked that question. Stay with me. This is earlier. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and have followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for the sake, my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Now, the disciples started thinking about that. Jesus had already told him in that chapter that he would be mocked, he would be spat upon, he would be crucified, he would be buried, he would then rise from the dead and enter his kingdom, okay? They had heard that. Most of the time when we read this passage about their request, it's used in pointing out their immaturity, their selfishness, their pride in that silly request. They did almost everything wrong. And I say almost everything wrong because there was one thing they got wondrously right. They asked for the wrong thing. I want to sit on your right hand, I want to sit on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. That was all wrong. But they took Jesus seriously when he talked about his future kingdom. And they acted on it. Improperly, but they acted on it. Jesus told them he was on a particular day in space-time history, at a particular time on the clock, was going to rise from the dead after his crucifixion. He was going to enter into his heavenly kingdom, and they immediately put their hearts and their minds right there. I want to be there, and I want to be there. That much was good. That's what it means to believe the testimony that Jesus came into this world to bring. If I tell you that one company has stock, and it's not an opinion, it's a fact, just going through the roof, quadrupling in value, and I tell you that the stock you're presently invested in is going to be worthless tomorrow, and if you think I'm telling the truth, and if you take my words seriously, what are you going to do tonight? Where are you going to switch? And if I tell you that this world, Bible says, is going to be burned up, this whole old creation, and there's going to be a new creation, new heaven, new earth, Jesus is going to come again, a world in which there dwells nothing but righteousness. There will never be a cold or the flu or a disease, or a sickness. There will never be heartache. There will never be sorrow. There's going to be a new world and a new creation, but you need to put your trust in Jesus to be in on it. What would you do? For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world. Trying to tell you all the truth, Jesus says. That's the only reason I came. You'd never figure this out on your own. So here's Christmas. 
Once again, the Christmas season is at our throats. But here's the Christmas issue. Right now, are you a person of the truth? Do you receive the testimony of Jesus? Are you committed to his truth? Do you humbly embrace God's revelation of mercy and grace in Jesus Christ? Do you put aside your own way of viewing life and truth and eternity? Do you accept the verdict of Jesus that you're a sinner, lost, hopeless without him? Do you accept the truth that you cannot climb up the ladder to God? That you must kneel before Jesus as the only redeemer and king? Are you a person of the truth? Do not make the mistake, our text warns us, of merely mouthing the truth. I, I, I'm so impressed. Look at the way Jesus replies to Pilate. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Look what Jesus says. Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? What a question. It applies to all of us. Jesus says, what, what's the motive for the question? Are you pursuing the truth of Jesus from a sincere hunger and desire to follow him and know him and serve him? Are you just mouthing? You grew up in a Christian home. Everybody in your family went to Sunday school for a long time. You went, you took a couple classes. You've been raised in it. You don't mind it. Jesus says, Pilate, what's going on in your heart? You can know the truth about Jesus. You can know it for yourself. For this reason I was born. It has to be yours. For this reason I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. It's not a preference. It's a truth statement. Let's pray.